Okay, for the sake of those on Facebook or Zoom, let's uh, wind it up a little bit. Amen. Amen. I know I too am thrilled, just like uh, just like was uh, shared just a moment ago by Micah. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, we weren't able to be here in the previous two services, and we're so thrilled to be here in the sanctuary. Uh, it kind of gives a new sense of meaning. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So um, we're going to finish up our series on Jonah. And uh, I don't know if uh, Bo and Nate conspired for this to, to, to fall to me. I get the last chapter. And uh, it is a weird chapter. So uh, if you want to follow along with me, the text will be up there. Uh, I've got one of these old-fashioned things where you don't have to swipe. Uh, you just turn the page if you need to. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> We're going to start in Jonah 3, verse 10, and then go all the way through chapter 4. When God Ooh. saw what they did how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also 
many animals. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. So I don't know how many of you have ever heard a song sung as if from Jonah, uh, especially from Jonah chapter 4. But Bob Frankie, who originally grew up in Hamtramck, where Sharon and I lived, he ended up going to, uh, to Massachusetts and uh, becoming a minister of music as well as a folk musician. And we've heard him a lot in concert. And this is Bob Frankie giving words to Jonah. I spent three days inside the whale, although it seemed much longer. I fought like hell to decompose, but the angel was much stronger. A mighty vomit gave me chance to show what I had learned. I sing my song as you dance your dance, waiting for Nineveh to burn. Waiting for Nineveh to burn. I used to think that I was kind. I thought I was a winner. They used to love me for my mind. They used to bring me dinner. As I was looking off the bow, they threw me off the stern. I look like death warmed over now, waiting for Nineveh to burn. Waiting for Nineveh to burn. You dancers think that you're so hot to praise the Lord's compassion while we who draw the prophet's lot are treated in this fashion I see once more as I saw at first I guess the worm has turned my growing shadow and my thirst waiting for Nineveh to burn Well, well, well. Have you ever been angry at God? Uh, raise your hands. I, I'm not talking about being confused or baffled, but I mean angry, really angry, ticked off. Yes, I see some fellow, uh, I, I can relate. And those of you who've been angry with God are in good company. Jonah, Jeremiah, David, and many others that are in the Bible. And I've been angry at God. That's a story I've told elsewhere. But I was angry as a missionary. And Jonah was a missionary prophet. And he got angry. Now, another question. Have you ever felt that some people really deserve God's judgment? They don't deserve mercy. They deserve judgment. You know who I mean, Republicans or Democrats, those religious liberals, 
or those Christian fundamentalists, or maybe we can all unite and say the Russians, or the Chinese, or the Muslims, or maybe bring it closer to home, someone in your family, someone who's hurt you, disappointed you deeply, disrespected you, or maybe even abused you, or that jerk, you know, the jerk who makes life miserable for all around them. Well, that's what Assyria was like to the Israelites. Nineveh was the capital city of the mighty Assyrian Empire, and God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach about their wickedness and God's judgment coming on it. And Jonah fled. Maybe he was afraid of what would happen, and so he went to Tarshish. That's in Spain, at the other end of the Mediterranean Sea, and a storm came up. The sailors threw him overboard. He got swallowed in a big fish or a whale. You know the story, especially if you've been paying attention at Genesis the last few weeks. So in Jonah chapter 3, we see that the prophet gets a chance to reboot, to try again, Missionary Journey 2.0. And as Nate talked last week, taught last week, Jonah goes into the city and he preaches about the coming judgment of God and surprise. The Ninevites repent from the king all the way down. The whole city, a mighty movement toward God and those awful people of Nineveh turned to God and God had mercy on them. Now, as you got Nate's divine grammar lesson last week, God's word of judgment didn't have a period after it. Rather, it was a semicolon because God's story isn't done. When the Ninevites respond to God's word with repentance, God responds to them with mercy. And the message of judgment was just the first part of the story. Mercy was the glorious climax that we see there in chapter 3, verse 10 that we started with this morning. But that's where Jonah got mad at God. You see, Jonah had an issue with punctuation as well. Jonah didn't want a mere period after the word of judgment. Jonah wanted an exclamation point. You know, you want to bully Israel? Well, you're going to pay because God's behind us. And so Jonah was just waiting for Nineveh to burn. Burn, baby, burn. You're going to burn and I'm going to love it. But then God's mercy got in the way. God wasn't waiting for Nineveh to, to burn. God was waiting for Nineveh to turn, to do a 180, to repent. That prodigal city, when they turned, they found God welcoming them with open arms. And that's what ticked Jonah off so much. Jonah hated those Assyrians. They had been so brutal to so many people. They were wicked. They were evil. But Jonah also knew God. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God, Jonah knew that poem, poem in Psalms. And his nagging suspicion was that God just might be merciful and gracious to Nineveh. And so Jonah goes off on a prophetic hissy fit. He stomps out of the city, 
throwing himself down on a hill where he could see the city spread out. And he tells God off, I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishment. And that's why Jonah fled to Tarshish in the first place, because he had that sneaking suspicion that God's mercy might be revealed to those awful people he hated. He didn't want to be a part of it. He even tells God it would be better if he died rather than live. Talk about a hissy fit. That's how deep Jonah's hate was. It's me or it's them, God. So Jonah takes up his watch over the city, waiting to see if God will do another flip-flop and bring down that fire and brimstone on Nineveh, waiting for Nineveh to burn. Now, do you, my brothers and sisters... Have a spot in your heart and mind where, where you nurture hate towards somebody, maybe toward an individual, maybe toward a group of people. I mean, like Jonah, are you a believer and able to celebrate God's compassion and mercy when it's directed toward you, but you know that hell is the deserved destiny for those folks? So there Jonah is sitting on the hill, sitting in the Middle Eastern sun, waiting for Nineveh to burn. And just as God did at the beginning of the story, God does now at the end. And God works with this reluctant prophet and with a humorous grace. Jonah made a little hut for himself to keep the sun off, but, but that didn't help much. And Jonah was getting baked in the hot wind and in his own hot fury. And so God made a, a little bush to grow up and to cover Jonah's hut. God made cool, refreshing shade for the prophet. So, so now he can be chill as he waits for Nineveh to burn. But the next morning, Nineveh is still there. Jonah is still there. But God sent a worm to, to burrow into the stem of the bush, to bore into it, and it withered. No more shade. No more ease. So Jonah's going back to telling God he wants to die. And that's when God brings the lesson home. It feels like a conversation between a parent and a toddler. Maybe you've had a conversation like this. Is it right for you to be angry about the bush, God asks? Jonah pouts, yes, angry enough to die. God points out that Jonah did nothing to make the bush grow. He did nothing to tend it. And yet he was so concerned about it. But what about God's concern for those people of Nineveh that God created, including 120,000 who weren't old enough even to know their right from their left? Oops, the, the right from their left. I get that mixed up still, but I think God was talking about the children the children that are there, shouldn't I have compassion on them? Do you want to watch those, those children burn, Jonah? And, and for you animal lovers out there, the last words are about the many animals who would suffer as well. Waiting for Nineveh to burn shows that Jonah has missed completely on compassion. God takes Jonah to the children 
and to the animals, to the innocent, to try to start stirring his heart up for compassion. And the book of Jonah ends abruptly there. It's like it just got chopped off. That's it. It's all done. So did Jonah get God's point and repent himself to embrace mercy toward these awful people of Nineveh? We don't get the answer in the book. But if you think a minute, it's there. Because who told this story? Jonah did. Jonah told the story where he's not the prophetic hero. Rather, he's the bumbling, reluctant, fish-swallowed, fish-vomited, vengeance-filled servant of God. But God's love opens up Jonah's heart. And when God's love opens up our hearts to the other, it also opens up our hearts to God. Jonah tells this story to us so that we can see God's compassion both to Nineveh, but also to him. It's his testimony, if you will. God takes Jonah to the children of the other to start birthing compassion. Let me tell you two stories. One is from a long time ago, during the Cold War. Now, some of you weren't even born then, but some of us were, and it was us, the USA, against the Soviet Union, the, the communist evil empire. Now, I was involved with Sharon in a lot of peace demonstrations back then, uh, anti-nuclear weapons, and sometimes we took our kids with us, and we got a bunch of flyers for one demonstration, and in the center of the flyer, it showed this uh, kind of an outline of a person breaking a missile over their knee. It was, it was kind of like the outlines in a coloring book. And I was going to Sweden in 1988 to attend the first Global Baptist Peace Conference, and there would be Baptists from the Soviet Union attending as well. Our son John, who was about five years old at the time, took some of those flyers and he began coloring the figures in. And he made his own stack of pictures and he asked me to take them and give to other kids, the Soviet kids. It was his idea, not mine. So I took them with me. And in Sweden, I was in a small group that included a pastor from Russia. And we were asked to share our stories of why we came to that conference. And this pastor, I think we'll get his picture up in a moment here. This pastor, he told his story. He was born as the youngest child in his family, born during World War II. He had 10 siblings. And he and only one other sibling survived the war. Just think of that. And he said he had a family now, and his youngest child was in preschool. And he was at the conference because he wanted his family, his children, to never experience what he had experienced. And so with tears, I pulled out one of those drawings from John. I told him about John and that he did this for Soviet kids, and, and I gave it to him to give to his youngest child. And from that point on, I could never think about our missiles pointed toward Russia without thinking of my Baptist pastor friend 
and his family in the crosshairs. Somewhere in his house, he had John's picture. And so I'm sure he remembered that in the U.S., there was a brother in Christ with children as well. The enemy, the evil other, for both of us, had a face, had children, and compassion erupted between us. Now, this week's news has been full of the violence between Israel and Palestine. Palestinian children have been killed. Israeli children have been killed. And each side blames the other. But Thursday, I heard a powerful story on NPR. I don't know if you heard it too. But they interviewed two parents. Robbie Damelin is an Israeli mother. And her son, David, was killed by a Palestinian sniper. Basim Aramin is a Palestinian father. And his 10-year-old daughter, Abir, was shot and killed by an Israeli border guard. Rabi and Bassam joined a group called Parents Circle. It's a group of Israeli and Palestinian parents who have lost children in the violence. It's Jews and Muslims and Christians all together. And they say, let's make it so there are no more people who can join this group. Our grief is too much. And we want to make sure that nobody else experiences what we've been through. Don't make the sorrow over our children the reason to kill more sons and daughters of other mothers and fathers, including those on the other side. Parent circle opens up the compassion in each other by entering into each other's grief and supporting each other in their sorrow. And their compassion has given forth to a demand for justice and peace and a determination to work for that elusive dream. Sharon and I were blessed to be with some of the folks from Parent Circle, as well as many other peacemaking and reconciliation groups when we were in Israel and Palestine. And whatever horrors you hear about in the news, know that there are people on the ground in Gaza, in the West Bank, in Israel, in East and West Jerusalem, People who are doing the hard work of building peace amid the violence. That's the news from this week. But what about you? We've followed Jonah's journey. He experienced God's compassion toward himself, saving him in the belly of that fish or whale. He proclaimed God's word and saw God's compassion extended to the other. And then after venting his anger, Jonah joined in God's compassion to the despised other toward the people of Nineveh. So who is it for you? Is it somebody with different politics? Is it somebody with a different religion? If it's, is it somebody on the other side of the fence in your neighborhood? Is it somebody that you work with who doesn't respect you? Is it somebody in your family who's done you wrong and hurt you deeply? Who is it that you would love to see burn? Maybe you can join Jonah as Jonah finally joined with God. 
to begin, can you pray for that person or for that group of people, terrible as they are? Can you pray for God's word to break into their lives as God's word came to the people of Nineveh? Can you pray for God's mercy to come upon them as it came upon Nineveh? But then, surprisingly, it came upon Jonah who needed it as well. Can you pray for God to make your heart tender so that you can genuinely act with God's love and God's best toward those other folks, whoever they are? You know, once God dealt with Jonah, Jonah was ready to be used by God even more. And God used Jonah as a reluctant prophet to reach the people of Nineveh. But once Jonah had gone even deeper with God, Jonah was inspired by God to share his journey for the whole world to know. And we now have it in our holy scriptures. Share that journey, that humbling, embarrassing story of discovering his own heart. And how God awakened him to compassion. It's a journey that all of us can grow in. And as we step into that journey, we can act more and more deeply in it. And God might even use us, might even use us in ways we've never dreamed of. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. Shall we pray? God, we come before you just as we are. We've experienced your love and your, your mercy. We've sung about it. We've praised your name for it. But God, we're still, we're still a work in progress. We still have those places where we've been hurt and where, where we've experienced pain. And so we just ask you, to come with your, your grace and your humor, even as you came to Jonah, and open our eyes, open our hearts, open us so that we might be able to be your channel of blessing and transformation, beginning with us and touching those around us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who died for our sins, who died for the sins of all those who sinned against us. And God, we all know that we stand together at that foot of the cross. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Well, before we dismiss, let's just take one, um, like 30 seconds. And either on your phone or on a piece of paper, um, write down the name or the people group that came to mind when Dan was talking, um, who, the, who those others are and all of those things that are wrong in them or offensive in them towards you. So Holy Spirit, would you um, highlight that to us either by name or by group.
And then, Spirit, we ask that you would meet us in the chasm between us and them. And so this, this week, uh, would we experience the healing work that God can do amongst us and that we need him to do? And so when we feel that resistance, God, we ask for grace by your spirit that we would be able to inhabit your compassion and your love and that we would be able to see humanity in each other's eyes. Even for us here, Lord, at the church, as we represent this whole spectrum of thought on so many different things. Lord, may we be anchored in your love for us and the truth that we are all your children. And may our sibling rivalries not drive us away from each other. And so we ask for um, the spirit to function as a peace maker and the peace that passes our understanding so in a way we're, we're giving up and we're consenting and we're saying god you do the work that we haven't been able to do with our own strength or with our own wisdom or our own cunning and so we open ourselves lord to your supernatural work that would bring peace and healing to our relationships. And I pray in Jesus' name, by the one who holds the power of resurrection, in the reality that many of us feel that relationships have died, that trust has died, that the ability to serve one another has died in this last year. And so, King of Resurrection, would you breathe your breath into your church and into your children here? And I ask, Lord, that you would start with me and then work your way out. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.